0: Well, it's good to be here with you. I mean, the first thing we've got to get out of the way is how to pronounce my name. <laughs> <laughs> and It's not Kojak or Boograk, it's Boojack. It's pronounced B-double-O-Jack, Boojack. But if you get it wrong, don't worry. I was in the military. They called me everything but Boojack. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter number 3 today. I appreciate your prayers for us. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of traveling over the next six months or so during this transition period my wife and i left out on thursday morning and uh... we drove nine hours to little rock and recognized that we're not as young as we used to be driving nine nine hours is uh... certainly not something that i am accustomed to doing very much anymore i got very weary on the journey and then we drove five hours the next day but one great thing was is that we were able to stop at some wonderful texas restaurants And uh, she picked out a couple of doozies, and uh, I I was able to have bacon-wrapped jalapenos and bacon-wrapped shrimp in Sulphur Springs, and uh, it hit the spot. I enjoyed those things. As long as the jalapenos aren't blowing my socks off, I'm okay. I've had some people tell me that those aren't that hot, and then they get after me, and uh, that's probably not a good thing. Uh, Philippians chapter number three, we'll begin our reading this morning. In verse number 10, of course, we know that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians when he was imprisoned. And so there was a lot of things that he could write about where he was going through issues and things in his life that were undesirable. But many times as he wrote the book of Philippians, you wouldn't know that. You know, for instance, in chapter number 4, he says in verse 4, to rejoice in the Lord always. He wrote that from jail. That should be an encouragement to us that even we in our situations that we are at today should be able to rejoice in the Lord. That's actually a secret to remaining grateful and happy with the Lord. But Philippians chapter 3, Paul said this, "...that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead." in Christ Jesus. You know, as we consider this passage this morning, um, we know that it is a great privilege that we have to be saved by the grace of the Lord. It brings us into a relationship. Salvation, we always say as Baptists, salvation is not in a prayer. It is in a person. Somewhere along the line in the United States, uh, people began to assure people that they were saved based on the fact that they had repeated a prayer or said a prayer. There is no magic prayer in order to be saved. In fact, I personally prayed the right words to Christ five different times and was not saved because my prayer was not coupled with faith. It requires faith in order to be saved. And it's not so much in the words that we say, it's what's going on in the heart. The scripture says that in the book of Romans in the 10th chapter. But when you receive Christ as your Savior, you enter into a relationship with Him. A new life is birthed inside of us. This is why it's called being born again. You know, when we baptize someone after they're saved, baptism isn't something that you do in order to be saved. Even some people who have gone to Baptist churches at times believe that their original sin was washed away by the waters of baptism. I remember at Rising Sun when I was knocking on doors and I was dealing with actually a former church member, his mother was passing away, and uh, she had talked to me about her conversion experience, how she'd been saved. And her son, who was a part of more of a Church of Christ line of thinking, kept saying, I remember when she got baptized. And He was likening baptism to salvation. Baptism is not salvation. Baptism is an outward sign of something that already happened within you. Our relationship with the Lord started when we received Him as our Savior. That salvation can never be taken away. Now, when we get baptized, we're buried just like Christ was buried. And we're raised to walk in newness of life. That, that new life after we're baptized should signify that there is a great change since I've been born again. Now, there could be any number of people inside this room today who do have a relationship with the Lord, whose relationship with the Lord has waned. Sometimes people get their lives right with the Lord. Have you ever been there? You've been out of the will of God, haven't been praising the Lord the way you're supposed to, had not been living the way that you're supposed to. So salvation means that we have been declared righteous before God. My salvation is not predicated on my behavior. I don't keep myself saved. My salvation comes by the grace of God. Now, I can do wrong and the Lord will discipline me. I certainly don't show the Lord that I'm saved or show others that I'm saved by living a life that is apart from God. But one thing is for sure. Once you become a son of God, You cannot be anything less than a son of God. You are brought into a relationship with Him. Now, that is not to say that you can ever fall out of favor with the Lord or begin to live a life where many people on the outside couldn't see that you were saved. But salvation means that we've been declared righteous. So the scripture says here in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 9, it says, And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. We know that in our United States court system, sometimes a judge will drop a gavel and he'll render a verdict against the defendant. (coughs) Likewise, we know that God is our judge. The Bible says that shall not the judge of all the earth do right. I'm thankful that through Christ I can be justified. The Bible talks about that we were justified by faith. Romans chapter 5. When we believed on the Lord, we have been declared righteous. Not my own righteousness. I don't go to heaven because I am good. I go to heaven because He is good. I don't, I'm don't. i not saved because I lived up to the righteous standard. I did not live up to the righteous standard, but there was one who did. His name was Christ. The Bible says, And He, God, hath made Him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So we're made righteous when we believe on Christ. And so... When we come before the Lord, we are declared righteous when we get saved. So the Bible says in Johns chapter fifteen and verse five, "I am the vine, and ye are the branches." Now, in the culture of that day, one would have understood this agricultural parallel. I don't know how many of you are like me i you may have been born and raised in Texas. I was born and raised in East Detroit, Michigan. The only thing I knew about agriculture occasionally is that My mom may grow a little garden, and she wasn't very good at growing a garden. I learned a lot about agriculture when I moved down to Missouri. I saw how things were planted. I saw how things grew, Um, and I learned from some farmers that were down there. Although I have never been very good at growing tomatoes, I've been really good at eating them. (laughs) But, you know, a branch without a vine would soon shrivel and die. Likewise, without Christ. Our strength, and we will have no strength or ability to bear fruit. There are a lot of Christians who aren't bearing fruit because their relationship with God is not what it needs to be. And so today, I want to encourage you all in Sunday school to consider this subject of building your relationship with God, especially as we come into the, to the new year. The Scripture talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19-22. through 22. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now, as a Christian, now that you're saved, you do have the ability to build your life upon the Lord Jesus Christ and upon the solid foundation of His Word. You ever met somebody who was building on the wrong foundation? You ever met somebody who thought they had the answer, but their answer that they were finding was in the wrong place? You know, uh, the songwriter had it right when he said, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You know, the amazing thing about many Christian lives is that we may have mastered the art of giving the illusion of spiritual success, while truly at the foundation, the foundation is crumbling. You meet people who have a relationship with God, yet their life is filled with fear. Their life is filled with anxiousness and anxiety. Their life is built and their their heart is broken in some way, and all I can tell you is that the Lord has the answers for all these problems. He can help you through His relationship with you to bring you through the problems of life. In Pisa, Italy, it's the home of this well-known landmark, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Through the, though this tower draws tourists from all over the world, it's actually, actually an embarrassing display of the ramifications of a faulty foundation. Construction of this tower began in 1173. It was built in soft soil and was given foundation that was less than 10 foot deep. Even before its completion in 1372, the infamous tilt was noticeable to the naked eye. The inadequate foundation was too unstable to support such a large structure. From 1990 to 2001, the tower was closed to the public while $25 million was spent conducted to stabilize the structure and reduce its lean. But even after these 11 years of reconstruction, the lean was only able to be reduced by a total of 16 inches. (laughs) Millions of people make their way to this tower and gaze upon this phenomenon with such a structure. But every day we cross paths with souls that are in just as much in contradiction to functionality as of that tower. I remember one day I was working for a furniture moving company in the days of my youth. And because I was strong enough to carry marble tables... They put me on the marble truck, and it was some beautiful tables. And the the first day that I worked at that job, they sent me to the the owner's house. I don't know how many of you ever heard of a guy named Art Van. I think his name was Art Van Oschlinger. And uh, they started building his home, and he put so much marble in his home that his house began to sink. And they had to tear everything down and then dig a deeper foundation. But I'll tell you that when I walked in, it was the first house I'd ever gone to that had a butler. And he had these huge, probably 15 to 20 foot doors, double doors. And when they opened it up, I walked up on this stairway as I was carrying this marble table and outside the the back windows were overlooking a beautiful lake in Michigan called Lake St. Clair. It looked like the house was floating on water. And my first thought was, I think I have one of these on the other side. I've got a mansion somewhere on the other side. And I'm thankful for what the Lord did in my life. I was delivering tables to that home and not living there. And so it doesn't matter how much effort it's put into constructing your life. If you take care of the outside and don't put any effort into the foundation, it's not your house is not going to stand. There perhaps could be somebody even here today in Sunday school who you need to start working on the foundation of your life. Listen, coming to church is a huge part. We're going to talk about that in the next hour. Coming to church will help you in your Christian life but feeding your soul spiritually daily in the Word and prayer and submitting to God in your private life and looking at what the Bible says and doing what the Bible says will do immense help for your spiritual life in fact a lot of times people have heart problems because they're not doing the foundational things the things that are below the surface properly and so we think about this foundation of relationship first Paul said in Philippians 3, in verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. You know, there's a couple of things that are in that verse that are undesirable. Well, first of all, where he said that I may know the power of His resurrection. Well, that presupposes that he's died. Dying is not fun. Dying to yourself is not an enjoyable thing. You know, one of the things that it says also is the fellowship of his sufferings. There's plenty of people in this world who do everything they can do to avoid suffering. You know, I heard of one preacher say one time that, you know, a man will ruin his health by trying to get wealth, and then he'll spend all of his wealth trying to get his health back. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's not one thing, it's another, you know. Uh, it 's not just suffering healthwise all of our bodies are going to suffer healthwise, no matter how he- healthy we live, how much water we drink or coffee we don 't drink, or I know that there are physical uh, decisions that we can make that can prolong our days but let 's face it, folks, we are not going to live forever. Our bodies are going to deteriorate, and I fear that a lot of times in the lord 's churches we spend a majority of our time praying for the sick and the ill. When the Lord wants us to be praying about eternal matters and spiritual matters, it's the salvation of souls that God's after. I mean, e- even those who are a part of the Bible, you know, like Paul, what did he say when he was coming close to death? I've, done th- I've fought a good fight. i finished my course. I've kept the faith. I'm ready to go. There was nothing to be left. And so there's this relationship, the fellowship of his sufferings. It says being made conformable to his death. Sometimes God puts us to death. How many of you have ever seen Say a shattered dream. I have five children. So there's a lot of opportunity in there for some of my kids to let me down. And they have. I've got prayers, I've got things that I'm looking for. It's not an enjoyable thing to watch your children go through issues that you would want them not to go through. A shattered dream, you know, um, you got to take those things to the Lord. I'm thankful that I have a relationship with the Lord. That even though He hasn't delivered to me everything I've ever asked for or wished for, I still know that He's a good God. And there's yet hope that God can work in these situations if I follow His plan. And there is a plan that the Lord would have. You know, when the Apostle penned these words, he wasn't speaking of a casual knowledge of God or simply just knowing Christ as Savior. He was speaking of an intimate and a deep relationship with the Lord. The Greek word used for this know in in this passage is to understand, to grasp, or ascertain, especially to be familiar or acquainted with a person or thing. It's to really know Jesus in in an abiding relationship. Years ago, I moved to the Mount Zion Baptist Church where I served with Pastor Thomas Smith, and I didn't know him very much. I knew that he was a good preacher. I knew that God worked in my life when he preached, when I heard him at conferences. We shared several meals together, but I didn't know him. I knew of Him. I was a casual acquaintance with Him. Some of you have more casual acquaintances with me, and obviously over time and observation, you're going to get to know me and my family a whole lot better. You know, knowing God can be left on the surface level, but oh that we would dive deeply this year with our relationship with the Lord. Paul wanted to know the Lord very well, and Pastor Smith allowed me to have an office next to him when I first moved there. And I was able to see everything he walked through, how he prayed, how he studied, how he lived, how he ate. I knew his breakfast routine. I knew his coffee routine. I, I studied his manner of preaching. I, I witnessed him through times of distress and, and anguish and difficulty. I got to know him very well. That's the same kind of relationship I would like to have with the Lord. I want to know Him very deeply and well. Know His person, that I may know Him. Philippians 3.10 This kind of knowledge of Christ is far more than intellectually knowing about Christ. Many people know about Christ intellectually. My father, before he got saved, he was raised as a Roman Catholic. He knew all the stations of the cross. He knew all the things that took place to Christ when he died. He knew about the resurrection. He knew a lot of facts about Christ. But he was in no relationship with the Lord until he was saved by the grace of God. Thank the Lord for that. And so I hope that you know the Lord, not just know about the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 15 through 18 says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of your calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. These words were written by F.B. Meyer. He was a, a, a Christian writer. He wrote, We may know Him personally, intimately, face to face. Christ does not live back in the centuries, nor amid the clouds of heaven. He is near us, with us, compassing our path and our lying down, and acquainted with all our ways. But we cannot know Him in this mortal life except through the illumination and teaching of the Holy Spirit. And we must surely know Christ, not as a stranger who turns in to visit for the night, or as the exalted King of men. There must be the inner knowledge of those whom He counts His own familiar friends, whom He trusts with His secrets who eat with him of his own bread another man named john milton actually, uh, accurately stated the end of all learning is to know god and out of that knowledge to love and imitate him you know we do need to get to know the lord in this way we need to get to know him deeply and maybe this year i pray that you'll learn learn more things about the lord you know we have an inexhaustible book i try to read through my bible each year and, you know, I read the same segments of Scripture almost every day of the year. And then I, I add to that with other studies and things like that. But I was just reading through Matthew 2 at the beginning of the year. It was on January 2nd when I read Matthew chapter 2. And I saw something new. In Matthew chapter 2, I noticed that there were four different prophecies where it said that this was fulfilled. And this was fulfilled. I've read the book of Matthew many times. And yet this year, the Lord showed me something new from that book. That's the way God is. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your relationship with God should never grow dormant. You know, you know. T- to me, uh, I'm still in love with my wife. My relationship with my wife grows deeper every year. I don't want my relationship with her to be stagnant. I want it to be alive. I still enjoy going on dates with my wife. After all the years of raising small children, it feels good to have a little bit of freedom we can actually leave the kids at home alone and come home and the house isn't destroyed. <laughs> you know, when a man and his wife have been married for a number of years, they know by instinct their, their spouse's likes and dislikes. The husband knows what kind of flowers his wife loves, her favorite restaurant, and exactly how to brew her coffee. Sometimes. <laughs> the wife knows her husband's routines, how he likes to relax after work, and his favorite sporting teams. We would think it strange if a married person didn't know anything about their spouse. But knowing one's spouse isn't developed merely by being married. It is gained by spending time together. It takes communication and making it a priority to get to know your spouse. Knowing Christ is much the same. Some people spend very little time with the Lord, and they don't know Him very well. Not because the Lord doesn't want to know you, The Lord absolutely wants to know you. In fact, one of the things the Scripture says is that the Lord is nigh unto them that have a broken heart. There may be somebody in this room today, and there's some facet of your life where you have a broken heart. You know, the Bible says Jesus is close to you. He's close to you. But many times people don't sense that because they're not building this foundation of their life to communicate with the Lord, to obey His Word, to spend time with Him. If a Christian's been saved for a number of years, but still doesn't know Christ personally and intimately, there's a problem with their foundation, what they're building below the baseline, if you will. Eventually, that structure of the Christian's life will crumble because no investment was made into the foundation. I'll give you a for instance. This morning, we met together early for prayer. This facility is so big, I got lost. So I showed up late to prayer meeting on the first day. Now, I will say that as of right now, I am not the pastor. I haven't joined the church yet, so nobody can hold that against me. I am not officially the pastor until next hour when I present myself to the church. But one thing that we did in that room was we, we cried together out in prayer to the Lord. This morning I was up at probably 5.30. I was in the office over here by 6 in the morning. Spending time with the Lord. Trying to get in my private time what I need to use as I feed the congregation that God has placed here. You have to build in the foundational areas and, able, and, and to be able to minister to others. I'm going to tell you something. That prayer time. There's already. I've only been in the room a few, a few times. That prayer time has encouraged me. You can learn a lot about people by listening to them pray. And this church has some good men, and we're thankful for that. So not only knowing His person, but knowing His power. We want to know the power of the Lord, the power of His resurrection, Philippians 3.10. This word is dunamis. This is a Greek word for power. It's where we get our English word dynamite from. It's a life-changing power that comes through the Spirit of God living within us. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Now listen, there might have been a time in your life when before you were saved you would have acted during a situation in one particular fashion, but after you know the Lord and you're spending time with the Lord, the Lord gives you power to do something completely against your flesh, completely against that which is natural to you, that's because the Lord can work in your life through His power if you allow Him to. Here we see that Paul states he wasn't content with merely knowing about his power. He wanted to personally experience that. He, wanted, he exchanged his impower, his imperfection, and wanted to experience God's all power. We know that Christ did say that. You know, he, he said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. If we ever need power, power to do something, Lord, give me strength for what my hands are about to do. We know that the Lord has that power. Below, the, be, below this baseline of our lives, the foundation of our lives, there must be God's power at work. We need to be experiencing the manifestation of His power working through our relationship with Him. And not only that, we need to know His presence. Have you ever just needed to know that God was there with you? I remember my friend Aubrey Brown, who's gone to be with the Lord. His 14-year-old son was stricken with leukemia. And over a period of two weeks, he watched his healthy son die in front of him and his wife. The more they prayed, the worse he got. And he saw his wife suffering and struggling in the hospital in Birmingham, Alabama. And he would preach this message about being overwhelmed when his heart was overwhelmed. And he would always talk about this stairway in Birmingham, Alabama. And he'd walk outside the room and he said he sat down on the stairs. He said, Lord, I've been preaching about you for all these years. There was ever a time I needed your presence. I need it right now. I need you right now. And he said, as sure as he was there, he felt the arms of the Lord come around him and gave him strength to go back in there and comfort his wife as they went through that together. We certainly need to know the Lord's presence. This word fellowship speaks of communion. It means to partake with Christ, to commune with Him. Paul had such a deep and abiding relationship with Christ that even when he penned these words from prison... He'd come to realize that the sufferings of life had given him a venue of fellowship with Christ. You know, you can't know the Lord truly and not know suffering. Does the Lord not know how to go through any manner of suffering that we go through in life? Does He not know what it's like to say, have a wayward child, to experience death, to experience rejection, to experience pain? The Bible says that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with what? Grief. That means if you're going through those issues today, the Lord knows and the Lord identifies. We can certainly have fellowship with Him. The Scripture says in Hebrews 4, that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The deepest moments of fellowship with Christ can be the times of our most intense suffering. You know, what was the most intense suffering that you think Christ went through in this life? What was the worst? Some would say that it would be the physical suffering of the Lord. How that they beat Him with the cat of nine tails. That they put nails through His hands and through His feet. That they they plucked His beard from His face. The shame that He experienced when they spat upon Him the crown of thorns that they plaited upon his brow. You know, the movies tried to portray these things, and many times you'd see reenactments of things. And by the way, I just don't think, I, I, I'm thankful for um, productions at times, but God does not ordain for people to get saved through the watching of movies. Amen. He ordains people to be saved through the preaching of the cross. Amen. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness it doesn't get the job done but unto us which are saved it the preaching of the cross is the power of God somehow it's not because I'm preaching preaching has been going on a long time before I was even on the earth it's because the word of God's being preached and there is a power in that that's how the Lord draws men to himself he said if I be lifted up I'll draw men to myself and so when we go through this suffering the intense suffering I believe the greatest suffering Christ went through was when he, he saw that God had turned His back on Him. It was those invisible transactions between Him and God the Father that caused Him the greatest amount of suffering. Suffering drives us to seek the presence of God. You'll see a whole lot more people at the altar when they're going through trouble. You know, back in 2008, I was a member of a church in Missouri, and the economy crashed. Some of our contractors in church were without work. Every one of those men were down at the altar weekly. Lord, we need work. And I saw how God turned things around on them because they were going to lose their homes and lose their stuff. (laughs) God came through, and He helped them. And I've, I've seen other people go through similar times of suffering. Sometimes people go through suffering for foolish decisions, but it's a different thing. Either way, suffering can drive us to the presence of God. We find that the Lord is a merciful and a faithful high priest who feels our pain. He's sympathetic you ever met somebody who was not empathetic or sympathetic towards the pain of somebody else? You know, uh, things are. You know, th- this world calls for Christians to be empathetic towards others that are in pain. You know, we we we've all heard the statement, "Well, you 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 made your bed, now you got to lie in it." Well, if you love that person who's lying in that bed, it doesn't make it easy for him to, for you to watch them lie in it, and might be necessary to watch them lie in it doesn't make it easy because your heart is moved towards those especially those whom you love but the Lord can use those times of suffering as a means to inspire your faith where is your faith you need to look to the Lord you need to believe in the Lord God needs to see you believing in Him even if you don't see the way of head, or even if you don't know how the story is going to end, even if you don't know how everything's going to work out. Thank the Lord that we can know Him and His suffering. In the early 1400s, there was a man named John Huss, who was a Catholic priest, appointed in Prague at the Bethlehem Chapel. Through the preaching of John Wycliffe, however, Huss began to see the error of this church in preaching salvation by works. Huss began to boldly preach the truth of salvation by grace alone to his congregation. This gained the attention of people, drawing crowds and resulting in many being saved. Meanwhile, the Pope promised forgiveness of sins to all who supported his leadership. Huss did not cower from clearly pointing out the fallacy of the Pope's declaration, for only Christ can offer remission of sins. This caused great suffering for John Huss. He was burned at the stake because of his refusal to comply with the Catholic Church's teachings. As the wood was lit and the flames licked his body, Huss cried out, What I taught with my lips I now seal with my blood. Lord, I commend my spirit to you. John Huss could say that he knew the fellowship of suffering along with Christ. Like Paul, he did not seek to elude suffering nor fold to the pressure he had a foundation that was far deep, deeper than the pain that he experienced at this time. We live in a far different day today when very little suffering like this is going on. But back during those days when people made a stand for the truth and preached the truth, they could be imprisoned or drowned or even burned at the stake. When we have an abiding relationship with Christ, we can come to know Him in a way that is deeper than just a surface knowledge. His power and His presence can become real in our lives in a way that sustains us. This is, this is what it means to build a foundation, a relationship with God that will last a lifetime. Now next week when we reconvene in Sunday school, we'll talk about the formation of our faith. We don't need to just know the Lord, and we should know the Lord in His person, in His power, and in His presence. And I hope these are things that you're seeking after this year of 2023. May God put a blessing on the teaching of His Word. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before You and we thank You, Lord, for these that have gathered to Sunday school. Lord, we know that other classes have been taught this morning and we pray, Lord, that You would take the teaching ministry of this church, that, Lord, You'd fill our Sunday school classrooms with people to teach about You, to teach the Bible to. Lord, I especially pray that You would fill this church up with little children, and with families who, Lord, these children might be able to be saved, that they would have a chance in this evil world. Lord, we pray You'd use this church as a beacon of light and of hope. And I pray, Lord, that You'd use every person in this room to bring their friends and acquaintances to hear the preaching of God's Word, the teaching of God's Word. I pray, Lord, that You'd use every faculty of our church. We might do Your work in this place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.